Well, good morning. It's always good to be here and to uh, share more from the Bible. Um, just uh, over the last few months, uh, Richard has asked me if I would share some thoughts um, on lessons learned. So over probably 40 years now, I've been in church leadership. Uh, prior to been here, it was at Burnley, and prior to that, it was in a local church in Denton where I grew up. And uh, so over the past few months, we've actually had, uh, this is the third session today. And so just to help and recap for those that weren't around, these can all be heard on, seen on uh, YouTube. Uh, but I just based everything I say on uh, three scriptures, but I'm not particularly reading the scriptures today because I'm going to dip into many parts of the Bible. You know, the Bible is very important to us in this church. And uh, it's really uh, a story of how God dealt with his people. But in the end, it was about Jesus coming into the world in order to help people and change people and affect their lives. Um, so the, the verses I want to just hang on these thoughts to, which I've done over the last, three time, the last two times we've talked, is first of all, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, there's something going on in all of us whereby we, God is still working in our lives. And these lessons that we want to learn about today are all about helping us on that journey. The second scripture is this. The Bible says, watch your life and your doctrine. So it's not important just about what we say, but it's also important about how we behave and what we do and what we do with our lives. So again, that's all a part of the lessons that we're going to learn. And then also 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1 verse 3, it says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So when we talk about these lessons we learn, you might think, oh, that is a tough thing that I've got to be able to, I don't know if I can do that. But the Bible says that his divine power has, so we're not on our own. He helps us in that process by the Holy Spirit. So these are the lessons so far. Uh, so I'm only, these are just the recaps of the, the names, right? First of all, we talked about don't just settle for the comfortable. Second, don't just endure the journey, enjoy the journey. The third one was don't entertain the little foxes or the dead flies. That won't make sense to you if you weren't around, but again, you can see that if you listen to it on the, the YouTube. Don't entertain a plan B. Then the second lot of lessons that we learned was don't neglect your God dependency. Don't try and fake it till you make it. Don't write people off and don't give up when you feel like you've failed. Now today I'm going to talk about three more lessons, if we can get through them, because uh, they're a bit longer than the other ones that we did before. But before I do that, I just want to uh, some, get some help from one or two people. Uh, first of all, uh, Pete, I'm going to go to Pete. I'd just like you to have a chocolate, Pete. Now it's got nuts in it, so if you can't have it, give it to somebody else. You can have these later. Lynn, maybe you could have one. Okay. And then just, uh, who else? Denise, come on, you have, you have one of these. Uh, yeah, you're on Denise. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Now, because you've had a chocolate, you're not getting away with anything, because what I'm doing is, at the end, I'm going to ask you a question about the presentation I've just done to you personally, because you're my favourite people here. Now, but listen, don't panic about it all the way through. It's, it can't be, it's not a right and wrong answer. Now, someone used to say, it's no good being of kind of heavenly minded if you're of no earthly use. So I just thought before I go into these lessons, just to help you, um, I, I want to give you a bit of advice that help in, in this days of austerity, whereby people might be struggling. You know, you see things on telly, how do you make meals for a pound and all that kind of thing. And that MP that said you can make a meal out of 30 pence. Well, I was watching on Apprentice a few months ago, and it was actually showing them they had to make their own 
pet food. Did you see that one? And I noticed that when they were making their own pet food, they were tasting it. So I, th- I thought to Sue, I said, we could save some money here. Because when I went in, when I went in Aldi, t- tinged stewed steak was t- about £2.20. And then I thought, well, if they could eat that cat food, or pet food or whatever it was, we should try that. So when Aldi got this cat food, and I said to Sue, look, let's, let's tonight, instead of having steak and chips and whatever, let's have this, a bit of this cat food. So now, when we did this, I actually... You do, you, do, you do need to hold your nose, because it does, does... Right, so... Right. Now, the people who've had the sweets... The people who've had the sweets, you're next. No, I'm all joking. Now, listen, I didn't really eat cat food then. It was chocolate cake. <laughs> With a, a label, I just got off another can and put it on there. I didn't eat pet food, but what I did, I got your attention. And now my job is to keep your attention. If I can get this chocolate cake. <laughs> and it brings me on to the first of the lessons that I want to share with you. The lesson is this. Don't underestimate the lengths that God will go to to keep and get your attention. Don't underestimate the lengths that God will go to to get, not only get, but to keep your attention. Now, to do this, we're going to look at the, the story of Jonah in the Bible. It's only four chapters, and if you don't know about it, it would be good to read it when you go home, because um, quite often people only know this idea about a fish that swallowed a man. But there's a lot more. There's, it's a shocking story in Jonah. And so, why do, why, what, what happens with Jonah? First of all, it seems like if, if someone said, you know, you're a bit of an attention seeker, you, you, that would be an insult, wouldn't it? Someone says, ah, you're an attention seeker, you. But you know, when I was thinking about it, God is an attention seeker. He wants to get our attention. And he wanted Jonah to focus on what he was focused on, which was a lost city called Nineveh with 120,000 people that were going to be destroyed unless they changed their ways. And it's a little bit like church, you know. God wants to get our attention onto what he sees. And what he sees is lost people. Now, when I say lost, we must never see that in a condescending way. But people who simply don't yet know the love of God and the truth of God in their lives. And the Bible actually says about Jesus, the Son of Man came into the world, the reason he came was to seek and save that which was lost. In other words, the main cause of any church should be about lost people. Now, again, not sounding condescending, condescending in any way, but the problem is sometimes with lostness, you don't always know you're lost. How often have you been driving and then suddenly you think, I don't recognise this. And you think, where am I? I've missed a turn. And now you're panicking. You're waiting for a turn off. And then it says the next exit's eight miles. You think, oh, no, I've got to go eight miles before I can turn around. And, and you didn't realise. But actually, you've been lost for miles. But you don't always know you're lost. You didn't know you was lost, but you are lost. And you realise that you were lost. Now you've found that you are lost. So lostness is quite a difficult position to be in. That's why 
in, in Luke, in the Bible, it actually gives this incredible uh, chapter about how God views lostness. And he talks, about, um, he talks about a strategy for reaching that which was lost. He talks about a, a, guy, a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost one. And the strategy was actually not to keep the 99, but to go for the one that was lost. It was a strategy for lostness. A woman lost a coin in a house and she tore the house apart to find the, the coin. She had a strategy for lostness. I lose stuff all the time. I lose my wallet, my keys, my phone. I've been memory. I've lost some. There's nothing else there. Uh, wallet, keys, phone, glasses. Uh, and, and you lose them. And then you have a strategy. I used to keep my wallet under my pillow so Sue couldn't get my money. <laughs> and, and then I come to work sometimes, see when I was working here, and I, oh, my wallet's not there. And I'd go, and I, I know it is under my pillow. So I'd go home. I've got a strategy to find lost. It's not under your pillow, it's filled out on the back of the bed. So I look down there, it's not there. And then I remember, oh, I was in the car, and the seatbelt used to catch me here. So I used to put it under the seat, and eventually I find it because it's a strategy for lostness. And God was aware of the desperate situation in Nineveh and he instructed Jonah, if he doesn't go, there's major consequences for this city of lost people. Now here's the shocking account. The preacher who didn't want his preaching to be effective. The preacher who hated the people he was preaching to. Imagine hating the people you're preaching to. But imagine coming here this morning and saying to Sue, oh, I've got to go this morning to that crowd at the bridge. What a waste of space they all are. And, and, and imagine that. She had t- Jonah didn't want to do this, but God said, I want you to go and deal with this situation. The preacher who didn't want to, his hearers to actually hear. Why didn't he like this situation of this request? He didn't like the people because they were a vile race. They were enemies of his nation. And if they were destroyed, there'd be no more hassle. He didn't like the place. Nineveh was a place which is equivalent now to Iran or Iraq, which are hard countries, as, as many of you will know. Or Tarshish, which was a coastal Spanish, a Spanish coastal resort, which would you rather be at? He had a choice, didn't he? And that's where he wanted to go. And then, he didn't like the purpose, because God's plan was to see them change. And Jonah could think of so many better people he'd rather preach to. So many better nationalities he'd rather preach to. So many better people he could preach to. I don't know if you've, over the many years I've led churches, and you've heard people say this about a person. They say, do you know I'm really unfit? I'm out of breath. <laughs> um, and they say, wouldn't they make a lovely Christian? Have you ever heard any people say that? Wouldn't they make a lovely Christian? Well, you know, sometimes they don't. And, and, and then you think of people, oh, they, they're lost causes, no chance. Who would have chose Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting Christians, who was trying to put them to death, who was trying to get them imprisoned? Who ever would have thought that he was going to be a person who would transform the lives of people because he'd become a Christian when he fell off his horse on the ground and was blinded by a light and he was transformed in his life? Whoever would have thought that it would be Saul? But it's not always the people we think. In the church I grew up in, in Denton, there was a guy, these people have passed away now, but he used to pray every prayer meeting for his neighbours. And he prayed that they would find Jesus and they would come to the church and all this kind of stuff. And he prayed week, every week the same prayer, he prayed and prayed and prayed. And one weekend there was a, a kind of a, an evangelistic uh, meeting where an evangelist was coming, a bit like Barry, Barry who was here the other week, who kind of preaches and makes an appeal and asks people to come to find Jesus and um, this lady came in. She was called Millie. And Millie was a lady from across her back 
who used to, this, this guy used to pray for every week. Oh, well, the neighbours used to pray for. But it was one particular family who they had a, a, a war with, a battle with, over some land. And it had gone for ages. It got quite an, antagonistic and difficult. And uh, of all people to walk in the church was this lady from across the back. This guy was praying every week for his neighbours. And uh, what happened then was she became a Christian and she started coming to the same church. And I can imagine him thinking, of all the people, of all my neighbours that were going to come, I can't believe it, it was Millie. And now he had to come to terms with someone he wouldn't have chosen, but now there's this lady who there had been this big arguments going on with and now she comes to the same church. He would have never chose that same person, but you see, it's not our choice who finds Jesus. It's not our choice. Some people think they're lost causes. There are no lost causes with God. So he's got, he's, he got Jonah's attention, but then he happens to lose his attention. And uh, what, he, what Jonah does, he goes to the harbour and he gets on a boat, but it's a boat that's going in the opposite direction. It's going to Tarshish, this Spanish uh, coastal resort. And we've got to be careful that we don't interpret circumstances, convenient circumstances as God's will for our life and thinking that oh that's, that just suits me that's what I want, see if we're running away from God or his call in our life, there will always be a convenient boat to take you where you want to go and there will always be a, a, a boat will take you where you want to go in the opposite direction where God wants you to go this is what the Bible says it says he paid the fare, what a fare that was what a cost that fare was, he paid the fare so God has now lost his attention. So what we're going to look at in Jonah is what he now did to get Jonah's attention back. So first of all, he's, chapter 1 verse 4, he sent a storm. So there's this big argument going on. Who, who's done something wrong because this storm's come? So in the end, Jonah confesses. He says, throw me overboard and the, the sea will stop. So they threw him overboard. The sea stopped. And now he's swallowed because now God has not only sent a storm, he now sends a huge fish. Chapter 1, verse 17. And then in the belly of the fish, the Bible says he, he prays his prayer of repentance. So the Bible doesn't actually say this, but he also sent a stomach bug. Now I've made that bit up, but because it says he vomited him up on the land. So I'm assuming something went wrong in his, his belly, vomited him up. And now here's a fantastic statement in the Bible. It says, the word of the Lord came to John, chapter 3, verse 1, a second time. Don't you thank God for the second time? And the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time. When we get stuff wrong, and then we have to go back to it and say, oh, it's messed up again, and made a hash of this. So thank God for the second time, the third time, the fourth time. And he hopes for a, an easier option here, but God comes to him, tells him the same thing. And so he preaches to Nineveh. They are changed. The king brings this edict that everyone needs to now follow this God of Jonah. Um, they repent in sackcloth and ashes, and this is what the Bible says. And you would expect him to be exhilarated, incredibly happy. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven when one person comes to know about Jesus. And now this whole city of 120,000 people, you think he'd be excited. Chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the shocker. Jonah was greatly disappointed and angry. Can you imagine? Imagine when Barry was here the other week, and I know 40 odd people made some response to say they wanted to know more about Jesus. Imagine next day, the pastoral meeting, Richard says, Can't believe it. 40 people. That's more hassle we've got in the church. More, more people, more problems, more baggage, more issues, more problems. Duh, 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 duh. Imagine Anna. Anna was really excited the other Sunday when I was here. She, she was telling me the Alpha course, the new Alpha course. We've got over 50 people on this new Alpha course. She, weren't, you know, she was excited about it. She was saying, can you believe it? 
I could have been watching Coronation Street, but now I've got to come out. I've got to come out and do Alpha Course because 50 odd people. Can you, you, you'd think the, the leadership are crazy of the church, wouldn't you? Jonah was disappointed and angry. You know, some, sometimes Christians can be like that when their comfort is disturbed. When someone takes their seat. When someone takes their role. I remember speaking at a church many, many years ago in, in Wigan. Ian, it's where the church he was at. It was, they were in a, a rented hall. And I remember someone, someone was, I was, oh sorry, I was speaking. I was speaking at this, this meeting then. About three or four hundred people in that day, so that was quite a large church. And this lady came to me afterwards and she said, uh, she said, it's all right, this kind of church. She said, but I left here a long time ago. She says, I went to a smaller place because this is too big, too many people. I just go with a small little group. She says, I don't like it with all these people. I said, well, you're going to have a problem in heaven. <laughs> the Bible says there's going to be thousands and thousands, 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and man that no man could number. When this place was built, 1993, that was the main stage. You can't believe it now, can you? That was the main stage. And you used to walk in here. And there was a corridor down there. And there was a double classroom. And every now and again, a group of people would pray. And I remember them praying that we just moved in this place. And I remember praying that God would send people and fill it. And believe it or not, very quickly, it became filled. And most of those people that prayed that it would be filled left because they didn't like full of these new people <laughs> you might be some of them new people that they left because of yeah. amazing isn't it yeah. so now he's irritated by the scorching sun watching this city change so the Bible says chapter 4 verse 6 God sends a vine under which he could sit and sulk protected him from the sun God sent a vine God was still looking for a change in the heart of Jonah when Jonah was hoping that God would change his mind about this city and destroy it. So to retain Jonah's attention, he now sent a worm. Chapter 4, verse 7. Strange story, isn't it? Chapter 4, verse 7. A worm to eat the vine so his shade would go. And then it says, the Bible says that God sent an east wind, scorching wind, to burn his head. (laughs) And he's so angry. See what the Bible says. I'm so angry I want to die. And then God says to him, what right have you to have an issue with a bit of a vine that you didn't, you didn't plant and you didn't pull down? Have I not got the right to have a concern over 120,000 people that are lost, that don't yet know me? My heart's for these people. And all you can think about is your sunburn. It brings Jonah's attention back to his heart for lost. And that's why lesson number nine. I'm saying nine because we've had eight before. So it's not nine today. It's number one today, but it's number nine. Lesson number nine is not to underestimate the lengths that God will go to to get and keep our attention on his focus, which is for lost. Lesson number 10. Don't fail the one, sorry, don't fail the want the best for others test. Don't fail the want the best 
for others test. This is like Jonah. He didn't want the best for Nineveh. And sadly, you know, sometimes it can be the same in church. Many reasons sometimes people don't want your best. Sad. Most people want the best, but sometimes people don't. Why? First, because I failed, so you fail. When I was an apprentice, people that I used to learn off, they were very different. And some of you, I would say, a guy called Bernard Brett, I can remember one I used to work with, I said, Bernard, I'm struggling with this, can you help me? And he'd say, he'd come in and he'd show me how to do it, but then he'd take it apart again and he'd say, now you do it, and I'll watch you. And it's like he was letting me climb on his shoulders to learn off what he'd learnt. But there were other people that said, John, so John Norman, John, I'm struggling with this. I can't hear you. He says, I struggle, you struggle. Find out for yourself. Have you met people like that? I'm glad I'm not the only one. Because sometimes they failed, so they want you to fail. A number of years ago, I was asked if I would, when I was leading the church here, I was asked if I would oversee a number of churches in the Northwest region. There was one in a place not far from here, just a handful of people, and uh, they'd been trying to get a new pastor. And what they used to do in, in the times in the past, they used to vote, someone would come and preach and they would vote. And they'd had two people come, so it's only a handful of people, they'd had two people come willing to give up their job, work voluntary at this church, and every time they voted, they voted no. So I went in to try and work out what the problem was, because there was another guy that was now going to come and, and help, or willing to help, but he was going to get voted on. So I went, this guy's a great guy, I knew him. And they voted no. So I started to ask what the problem was. I said, you know, what's the issue here? Is, is there a problem? And he said, the guy who used to run the church, when he used to run the church, it didn't work, it failed. So what he did is when they voted on someone, he influenced people not to vote for them. And so he said, this is what he said to me. He said, I failed. I couldn't make it work. And if I can't make it work, nobody's going to make it work. The door's closed. Thank goodness they're open again. Someone's taking it on. But can you imagine that mentality that you didn't want the best for other people? And then there's a situation where some people don't want the best for you because they're jealous. In Genesis, in the Bible, in Genesis 38, there's a bit of a, it's a bit of a seedy, X-rated, 18-plus account that... uh, we read about this, it's a bit of a strange situation. And it's about a guy, and he's called Judah. And he's got three sons. One's called Er, one's called Onan, and one's called Sheila. Imagine a son called Sheila. Sheila. And so what happens is Judah finds a wife for his oldest son. He's called Er. And she's called Tamar. So he brings Tamar. So he brings Tamer to Onan and said, here's your new wife, Onan. But the Bible says Onan was a wicked man, so God destroyed him. So here's the crack. What happened was, if your husband died, then you automatically went to the next brother. This is in the Bible, in the past, not now. So imagine if you're a young lady, in the, in, you imagine you're a young lady, and you're thinking, oh, I fancy that young man. You've got to think about his brother, because you might end up with his brother if something happens to this young man. Can you imagine that scenario? So anyway, he, the, Judah says to his second son, Onan, now I want you to go and lie with Tamar, 
and produced a son on behalf of your brother to, 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 to fulfill what your brother should have been able to do, but he's died. And this is what happens. This is what it says. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. And what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight and the Lord put him to death. So imagine Sheila now must be scared to death because Sheila's the next in line. But, but, but imagine what, what he does. He says, right, he says to Tamar, you go back to the house and Sheila's going to grow up when he's a bit older. He'll be next in line. But anyway, it all changes. If you carry on, it gets worse and worse, that passage. So I won't, I won't go any further with that. But he was basically not willing to want the best for his brother. Do you understand the story there? So I know it's a strange one, but that's the, the truth of that situation. And then there's those that might have a don't want the best because they have a superior attitude or they're insecure because quite often your superior attitude can be because you're insecure I can remember um, in, a long long time ago early days when I was a pastor the pastor or the vicar or whatever in the church used to do everything there was no staff there was no team and they'd welcome you on the, they'd open up they'd welcome you on the door they'd put the heat on they'd lead the service they'd pray they'd announce the hymns they'd preach they'd close the service they'd go to the door they'd say goodbye and they'd lock up and that's how it used to be. But then it started to develop where people develop team and stuff like that. And uh, the camp, team can, is very good. Team is a biblical concept, but it can have its challenges. Everybody has to behave. And, um, but I can remember listening to a guy preaching who was one of the first people I knew that had a team. And he, he, he said this. He said this when he was preaching. He said, I've now come to the point where whenever I go out to preach... And I leave the church with one of my assistant ministers or associate ministers. I pray that God will bless them and their preaching more than he's ever blessed me. And I sat there thinking, you fibber. <laughs> Nobody does that. <laughs> you might, I hope they're okay, but don't make them as good as me. But, and I, and, but you know, I, the fact was, the truth was, it came to the fact here we had a team and I, I could come to the point where I could easily pray, God, would you bless them more you bless me because listen team it's all about church is about body the is about a body and and when you talk about the body of christ or the body of christ it says there's all different kinds of people and some are the very low key some don't do a lot some don't say a lot but they're they're doing things that people other people don't know about if you've ever watched them operations on television those incredible surgeons where have you seen them you know when they cut you open and they're playing with the heart while it's still beating and and all that kind of stuff that's going on inside and you think but that stuff isn't seen but if that stuff isn't working you've got a problem and now you can live without your ear if somebody takes your ear you can live, but you can't live without this stuff that people don't see I remember someone saying this the things so in this building I can remember it being built so above these ceiling tiles there's lots of stuff there's pipes and tubes and wires and all kinds of stuff and the things that you do see can only work when the things you can't see are behaving so what you see and feel now and the environment and the heat and the warmth and the light and the screens and all this is only happening because stuff is going on what you can't see and that's what you have to understand about the body of Christ it's not about being jealous of each other it's about all playing a part in what we do so that we want the best for other people can I encourage you not to fail the want the best for others test it's a mouthful that and then 
Number three, don't, and this is, I, th- I think this is wonderful. So if you think it's been all right so far, this is even better. Right? This is wonderful. Listen, don't underestimate your accept. Don't underestimate your accept. Now, what do I mean by this? I'm referring to what God can do with the little that you have. Now, to, to talk about this, we, we have to look at 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, which is an account of a widow woman that comes to Elisha in absolutely distress. And she comes to Elisha and she says, I can't believe it, my husband has died and he's left in this tremendous debt. I've got this debt, I can't pay it. And now the bailiffs are coming and they're coming to take my two sons, to take them away, to work for them until they've paid back the debt that I owe, my husband holds, who's died. Uh, and, and you think that's a bit cruel I'd take your kids away to, to, to work off your debt it's not a bad idea actually is it? Like, to, take your children away to work off your debt and then when the year of jubilee came they were released from that debt and so it's a bit like now the bailiffs come and they take your television or your car and I know some of you would be thinking I'd rather you took the kids than the television <laughs> or the car because I'm in the middle of Coronation Street what do you think I watch Coronation Street I'm in the middle of Coronation Street and they want to take me telly take Johnny or Fred or whoever, one of them So Elisha asked her this question. Lady, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? I imagine she's annoyed. She's pointless coming to this bloke. Why do you think I'm here? I've got nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. If she had a Yorkshire accent, I've got nout. N-O-W-T. I've got nout. Don't ask stupid questions. That's why I'm here. I can imagine and then something triggers in her mind. And she said these words. Accept. Accept. Don't underestimate your accept. Accept a little oil. She made the mistake that we can all make of not including God in our little, our smallness, our accept. She was apologetic for the little she had. Only, I've only got this. You might be here this morning with your little, your accept, your lack. Well, don't underestimate because God can do a lot with your little. And don't underestimate because what other people might say about your lack or your accept. I left secondary modern school. The four CSEs, that's, that's a lot lower than GCEs. Which I got a D in three of them and a unclassified in the other and I got woodwork GCE the only the only exception I got to this or the only good thing was Jesus was a carpenter (laughs) that was the only consolation I had and the headmaster took a few of six seven eight of us in a room after he talked to all the achievers and said listen just apply for any job you can because there's not a lot not a lot of long-term hope for any of you in here I imagine saying that and the sad thing was I believed it. So I just applied for any job, good. Because I, my little, my woodwork, <laughs> my GCSE, grade D, was nothing. But you know, God can do a lot with our little. God can do a lot with our accept. And the Bible is full of examples of people who had very little. God said to Moses, go and free my people from Pharaoh 
Three million of them or so. Go and free them from Pharaoh's hand. Moses made all the excuses in the world. And then he had to go and tell the people that this was the plan. And he's saying, I can't do this, I can't do this. Tell the people I'm going to release them. And, and, and Moses, uh, Moses says, what if they don't believe me? What's going to happen if they don't believe me? And then he says, Moses, what is in your hand? And he says, a staff. So he says, well, we'll start with that. Throw it on the ground, it becomes a, a serpent. Pick it up, it becomes a staff again. When you face the Red Sea, put your staff over the, and you get, once you get away from the enemy, put the staff over the Red Sea and the seas parted. And the accept, listen to this, the accept became exceptional. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Jesus has been talking all day to these people and they're hungry. Disciples say, send them home. That's an easy excuse, isn't it? Send them home. Jesus says, feed them. So what are we going to feed them with? And Jesus says, what have you got? Well, not much really. We've got a little boy here with a basket with five, five little loaves and two fishes. We'll feed them. We'll start with that. Start with that. Well, we can't. It won't feed all these people and make all the excuses, etc. And then, so Jesus took the bread and the loaves and the fishes and he brought them and he fed the thousands and the except became Exceptional. Twelve baskets left over. The except became exceptional. I was thinking about this little boy. If you had a lunchbox in the middle of all them thousands of people, would you open it? Or would you be one of these people who uh, try and open, your, open, open the box under your coat and take a quick bite out and hope nobody sees? I used to work with a guy who was a mechanic. He could peel an orange in his pocket without anybody knowing. <laughs> He'd unravel sweets in his pocket, stick it in his mouth, and you wouldn't have even known he'd done it. <laughs> and imagine what this, 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 this boy, what it would have been like. Gets home and his mum says, do you enjoy your lunch, son? I didn't eat it. What do you do with it? I give it to Jesus. And what did he do with it? He fed 5,000 people with it. She clips him around the ear and says, stop fibbing. You could clip people around the ear then. You can't, no, you can't do it now. <laughs> Can you imagine? But the accept became... Say it, exceptional. David, this great monstrosity of a beast called Goliath, armoured up to the hilt, only a bit of a gap is round his face. What have you got in your hand, David? I've only got a sling. Let's start with that. And the accept became exceptional. This is where the faith step comes with this young lady. I've almost finished now. It's all about faith. He gets, she gives him this instructions. And the instructions we sometimes have are difficult to follow. You see, when it's about faith, we do what we can. Then God does what we can't. Go to your neighbours, borrow as many jars as possible. Not a few, don't skimp. So she goes to borrow all these vessels from a neighbour and I was thinking about this you know we'd all be different when we did this some of us would say I feel a bit cheeky going to ask my neighbour so but you go and you get two or three and you think well that'd be enough I've only got a little bottle of oil this I've got all this and then others would say um, they get some refusals and get upset and can't stand the rejection and so they wouldn't they won't do it get any more and others would just go and get them as many as they could because they just believe for, for many this this was quite an interesting situation because now the size of the miracle was going to be determined by how many jars she got. In fact, Elisha was giving her a blank check. 
And now the obedience bit. Pour the pot small oil into all these pots. Imagine the thought process. How can I do that? All these pots, I've got a little, except a little oil. I was thinking about how it must have been for at the wedding where Jesus turned the water into wine. And don't forget, the servants have been told by Jesus to fill the, wines, the, the jars with water. Because the wine's run out. Fill the jars with water. So the servants know it's only water. But now they have to go to the master of the ceremony and pour what they know is water into his glass. That, you know, heads could roll here, couldn't they? You know, <laughs> What a challenge it must have been. And as she poured, the wine kept flowing. The lack, the little, the accept became exceptional. There's an old saying, always flowing, always full. The Bible says this, he refreshes others, will himself be refreshed. If you're feeling a bit dry today, maybe it's because you stopped pouring into others. I'm thinking about this woman. If she'd have got enough jars, she could still be pouring today. Because it didn't run out. Because it said, bring me another jar. And the boy says, there's none left. And the wine stopped flowing. Oh, sorry, the oil stopped flowing. Got wine on my head now, see. The, The oil stopped flowing. She could have outdone Shell, BP, and all the others put together. The Chancellor of the Exchequer would have put a windfall tax on her because of her oil. Because it kept flowing until the jars ran out. I know that's a bit of an exaggeration, but the concept's there. But you see, she was only thinking about the debt. Elisha was thinking about their future. Because he said, pay off your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. In other words, it was a heavenly or a divine pension. Live on the rest. Can I encourage you not to underestimate your accept? Three lessons today. God wants to get our attention and keep it. He wants us to pass the want the best of others test. And he wants us to never underestimate our lack. What I've talked about today and in the other lessons in the past is all about flawed people. Today we've talked about key people in the Bible, but they were flawed. Moses had his faults. David had his faults. Judah had his faults. Moses had his faults. Jonah had his faults. Lynn. Pete. Was it Denise? I forgot who I give him to now. <laughs> just coming back to them sweets. Just tell me something you observed. Just something you observed when I give you that sweet. Doesn't matter. There's no wrong or right answers here. I come to you, Pete. Anything you observed. Yes. The fear of wondering what you're going to ask me. Lynn? I was very excited. You were very excited? You love chocolate. Okay. Denise? You the same? I was Okay. Now, they're all right because what I give it them, I don't think you can see it, but it's an old cracked pot. It's damaged, it's broken, I've stuck it together, it's covered in sellotape. But what they noticed was the good things that were inside it. They didn't notice the crackpot. And you know, the Bible says, when we know Jesus, we have this treasure in jars of clay. 
In other words, we're all clay jars, cracked, damaged, baggage, failure, problems. But within us can be this treasure. In other words, we're all crackpots. <laughs> I could say that because I'm not here speaking most times. So you, we're all crackpots. But it goes on to say this as well, the Bible. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. But it also says, there's this incredible mystery. Colossians 1 verse 7. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in other words, we might be damaged. We might be a cracked pots. But because we have this treasure, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says, you are the aroma of Christ. The smell of Christ, the aroma, the fragrance of Christ comes from us, should come from us. And so, 11 lessons there over a few months. Today, those are the three that I leave you with, and I trust to help you. That First of all, want to, God wants to get our attention, and we'll do his best to keep it for lostness. He wants us to pass the want the best for others test, and he wants us to experience our accept becoming exceptional. Yes. Amen. I'm fed up with your own voice now. I'm sure you are. God bless you. Thank you.